The following resource is from Christ Community Church. For more information, please visit lovinglord.org. Father, every Sunday that we gather is an opportunity for you to transform us as we sing, as we pray, as we hear the word read and preached. We come before you, Lord, asking for the transformation of heart and mind that you would make us into the image of your beloved and beautiful Son. As we look at this passage from Ruth 2, Father, I pray that you would show us how deep your love for us truly is. Reveal to us, Father, the great work that you have done in Christ, the great work that you're doing in your Spirit, and the great work you will do when Christ comes again in glory to make all things new. If there's any soul here, Father, that does not know you as God, and that Christ paid for their sins, I pray today would be the day of salvation. Today. And for those of us who are in Christ, I ask, Lord, for that great assurance and that great encouragement in knowing that even this day, by Your Spirit, You are sanctifying us and making us ready for eternal life. Open up this passage in Ruth 2 to us, Lord, that we might not only understand the great movement that You have made throughout history with Your people, but that we might see, Lord, that You are working to restore us today. You are in our lives. Be pleased this morning, Lord, in receiving the worship of Your children. Be glorified in this gathering and in Your true churches throughout the world. Let Your name be magnified in all the earth, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is working to restore you? <laughs> yes. And that's the sermon. There you go. All right. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes. If you remember, we started off three weeks ago, and um, it was our desire to, to begin a theme in this book that the book clearly teaches to And so I I said the overall arching theme of this book is this, God's steadfast love for Naomi, bringing her, restoring her from emptiness and death is available to all Jew and Gentile who put their faith in the greater David, Jesus Christ. So that, that theme permeates all four chapters. God working through Naomi to reveal to us that he's working in us to restore us. For the past three weeks, we have witnessed Naomi, who is the primary character of the book, lose everything. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. She even lost a daughter-in-law, Orpah, back to her family. She's returned to Bethlehem after 10 years of self-imposed exile, and she is self-proclaimed empty. She's bitter. She's as good as dead. 
We saw last week that she is having an identity crisis unlike she'd ever experienced before. Now we know Ruth, her daughter-in-law, went back to Bethlehem with her. But even with that blessing, Naomi declares herself empty and demands to be called Mara, bitter, instead of Naomi, pleasant and lovely. So the curtain has drawn. Act 1, chapter 1, is complete. And, and at the end of Act 1 in our narrative, we see Naomi desolate. She's in a desperate state, and she desperately needs help. And so as the curtains draw open in Act 2, here in Ruth 2, we will see God, but God's going to be behind the scenes. He's behind the scenes taking concrete steps to bring redemption, restoration, and life to Naomi to take her out of her empty and bitter state. And he's going to do that through the lives of Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and Boaz, a relative of her deceased husband, Elimelech. And what we're going to find from our passage today, hopefully will not be new to you, but be encouraging to you, is how God moves, listen, how God moves oftentimes independent of us and through other people to redeem us. That God is moving right now in order to bring restoration and healing and eternal life to his people, the church. Now, in a, in a culture that embraces radical individualism and where you were raised to be that self-made man or that self-made woman, that understanding that your success, your happiness in life is contingent upon you, your effort, your work, your energy, not upon your circumstances, not upon God, and certainly not because of other people. Where we are told and we have been told that it's a weakness or even a failure, even in the church we're told this, to think that you need help, to ask for help, or to have other people intercede for you. What if, my friends, what if, what if the self-made man, the self-made woman, radical individualism, what if it's a lie? What if, contrary to what we're told, that our fallen condition requires a great deal of help? That each and every one of us is in desperate need, like Naomi, for God and for others to intervene in our lives. And if he doesn't, my beloved, what if we will end up like Naomi, bitter and empty forever and ever? What if that's the true narrative? The Bible says it is. The Bible says that if you believe you're a self-made man or a self-made woman, that you are delusional, that you are in desperate need of God and you're in desperate need of one another in order not to end up like Naomi is here in chapter 2. So this morning as we see God working behind the scenes to restore his prodigal daughter Naomi, I want you to ask yourself, how well do you see God and others working to restore you? How well do you see it? How well do you turn to God and turn to others for your restoration? for your healing, for your sanctification, and ultimately for your destination, which God has ordained to be heaven. I want to consider these questions as we begin Acts 2 in our story, who's working to restore you? And I want to do that by showing you three scenes from this next segment of Scripture. Scene number one, 
God, God's work behind the scenes. Scene number two, God's grace of protection and provision. And scene number three, God's reward for sacrificial love. God's work, God's grace, and God's reward. Are you ready? Scene one, curtains being drawn open. God's work behind the scenes. Look at verse one. The narrator says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And so the curtains open, and, and, and Act 2 begins with an introduction of this man, Boaz, who becomes a major figure, not the primary figure, that's Naomi, but a major figure in the story. And we find out that he's a close relative of Elimelech. He's part of the clan. He's a, a kinsman, which will become an important teaching a little bit later and the narrator tells us that he's a a worthy man that word worthy man um, it's the same word that's used to describe David's mighty men it was a a term used to describe a man of valor or bravery but it was also used in the context of community so a worthy man was an upstanding man in the community someone who could be trusted someone people would actually look to now, we don't know at this point in the story, we don't know yet, I mean, you do because you read the book, you, you, you spoiled it, right? But we don't know what Boaz's role is going to be. And, and we don't even think that Naomi's looking for help from someone like Boaz. Um, in fact, she's, she's so desperate right now, she's just going to stay home and, and, and wallow in her, in her suffering. But we do know that there is someone, because she told us so. Ruth is there, the beloved Ruth who has committed her life, pledged her life to Naomi's well-being. Look at, look at verse 2. She, she's going to ask Naomi, I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going I'm to scavenge for food. I'm going to pick up scraps. Look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. You see, according to Mosaic law, farmers were required by God's law to leave some of their crop for the poor and for the sojourner to come and eat. Leviticus 30, 23, 22. So this is really early. And when you reap the harvest of your land, this is to farmers, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. And then God says in Leviticus 23, 22, I am the Lord your God. In other words, don't eat it all. Leave it for the poor whom God says I love. Not all landowners obviously obeyed those laws, and so uh, Ruth goes out to find a landowner who was going to, someone who would be faithful to Leviticus 23, 22. Look at the latter part of verse 2. So she, Naomi, said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, go, my daughter. Now, <laughs> why Naomi doesn't go, there's lots of speculations, and it's really interesting to me how much time commentators spend writing on that which is not told in the Scriptures. Um, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Some say, hey, you know what? She's too old to reap. Probably not. She's, she's probably just wallowing. She's bitter. She's empty. She's having an identity crisis. She says, Ruth, you go. I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to weep. Probably the latter. Either way, Ruth says, I'm going because I've committed to bless you. Look at verse 3. And so she, Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And so you go, oh, now, now I know why the narrator gave us the introduction in verse 1. We, we get to verse 3 and we realize, oh, Boaz is going to play a part in this entire story. 
Did you notice that the narrator says the field that Ruth just so happened to come to was Boaz? Now, as a Westerner, you're thinking, wow, what great luck. What's the chance? Right? We think random coincidence. That, that worldview did not exist at this period of time in Old Testament history. It was understood that God was in direct control over all things and all people, and particularly his own people. Lamentations 3.37, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. Proverbs 16.33, most of you know this, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. In other words, the narrator is saying, listen, God is orchestrating something here that's fantastic. It's his doing. It's not chance that Ruth made it into Boaz's field. It's God's doing that brought her into the field. Look at verse four. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you, and they answered, the Lord bless you. It was a common exchange. The narrator is begging us to see that God is, is, is this heavenly matchmaker He's bringing Ruth and Boaz together at the exact same time so they might meet. It just so happened that Ruth ends up in Boaz's field not having any idea whose field it was. And then the narrator says, and this is kind of lost here because we don't use the word behold. Verse four says, and behold, or wouldn't you know it, and, or of course, at the exact same time, what happens? Boaz comes out to check the field. Now what's the chance of that? Well, the chance is zero because we don't believe in chance. It's God's doing bringing Ruth and Boaz together at the exact same time. Look at verse five. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So he's looking out and he says, there's someone there that I do not know. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young woman, the young Moabite woman, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. So, so Ruth's working really hard in the field. She's working hard. The, the servant says, this is who it is. It's the Moabite woman who came back from Moab from, with Naomi and then explains to Boaz her request and obviously they granted her request because she's working in the fields. Now I want you to remember, it's God's plan to bring restoration to Naomi but he's going to do that through Ruth and Boaz, right? The theme of this is the restoration of Naomi through Ruth and Boaz. Now, all this, we're early in the story. All this is hidden. It's hidden from Naomi. It's hidden from Ruth. It's hidden from Boaz. But it's not hidden from God because God's the one that's orchestrating the entire thing. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plants his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, right? It was Ruth's plan to go out and find food so they don't starve. And it was Boaz's plan to go to the field to see how the workers were doing. But it was God who established the exact time that they would come together that they might meet for a distinct purpose. And that was the restoration of Naomi. So first the narrator wants us to see how God is behind the scenes, not only in our narrative, but I would say in all of human history, working to bring about his purposes, the restoration of his people. Scene number two, God's grace of protection and provision. So now that he's orchestrated the meeting of Ruth and Boaz, scene two and scene three, it's two dialogues. 
Boaz speaks. Ruth responds. Boaz speaks again. Ruth responds again. Look at verse 8. And then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. And you're thinking, wait, that's her daughter? His daughter? No, of course not. It's a, a term of endearment, and actually it's a, it's a term that puts her in a very interesting place. Boaz's first words to this woman he's never met before are that of a doting father or a caring husband. Did you notice that? Now listen, my daughter. Ruth's in a foreign land. She has no covering, no father, no husband. She has no covering, no protection, no provision, and yet his initial words are to her, essentially, I'm going to protect, I'm going to provide for you because you do not have husband or father. First, he offers her protection. Look at the latter part of verse 8. He says to her, this is, this is really a parent talking to a child now, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. That's those who were behind the reapers who were gathering up the grain into the, into the sheaves. Verse 9 let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them, the women. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So like a good father or a good husband, he speaks to her to protect her. He says, don't go to another field. Stay with my women. Stay in my field for your good. Glean here. And then Bo- Boaz, so he provides protection and then he provides provision. Look at the latter part of verse 9. He said, and when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, we read that and we think, well, okay, that's, that's kind, but it's just water, right? Well, there was no such thing as just water in that place of the world at that time in the world, right? I mean, if you're thirsty, you'll go and you'll throw a glass of water into your tap or you'll go to your refrigerator, which has nice, cool, and filtered water, and you'll even add a little bit of ice to it, and it takes all of about 10 seconds, right? Before they would go out, the laborers would go out in the field, they would have to draw water either from the well in town or nearby the field. And drawing water and hauling water, if you've ever moved water, is very laborious. So it was a big deal that you had water on site so that you didn't get dehydrated, right? So Boaz, this is interesting, Boaz gives her permission to draw water from water that had already been drawn. Now, in their cultural moment, foreigners drew water for Israelites, And men, I mean women, drew water for men. And so to have a female Moabite take water that had already been drawn, it was not only an act of provision, Boaz was honoring Ruth. He was putting her on a level of his own people, his own workers. It's an extraordinary act of kindness and grace. Now other than allowing her to pick up the grain in submission to Leviticus 23 and 22, Boaz didn't owe her anything. He didn't owe her anything. And yet, out of pure grace, he says, I'm going to provide for your protection, I'm going to provide for your provision, and I'm going to honor you. And he does. It's such a sweet and beautiful moment in the, in the story that we're being told. Here's Ruth. She's utterly desperate utterly desperate she's alone she's vulnerable she's starving 
easily taken advantage of. And yet Boaz comes along as a man of stature and wealth who probably could have taken advantage of her. And what does he do? He meets her needs abundantly. He goes over the top, radical grace, radical protection, radical provision, even honoring her in the midst of his own workers. I'm sure they had something to say about it at their lunch break. And it, and it piques her curiosity. She's thinking, why? Why, Boaz, would you, a man of stature in charge of this field and these workers, why would you bless me, a Moabite foreigner, without husband or children? Why would he do it? Scene one, he works behind the scenes. We see that. Scene two, he provides protection and grace. Let's answer her question. Why is, why is Boaz doing this? Scene three, God's reward for sacrificial love. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. Speaking of Ruth now. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why? Have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a, a foreigner? So Ruth is, she's shocked and she's rightly overwhelmed that this man of stature would bless her so abundantly, giving her protection and provision, and even honoring her amongst his workers. Remember, she's a female, she's a female foreigner, a Moabite without a husband or without children. In, in the context of her cultural moment, I hate even saying this about a human being, she's at the very bottom of the barrel. She's the lowest of the low. She's considered by her cultural moment expendable, useful as a servant, useful as a slave, useful as a sex toy, and that's it. And yet here comes Boaz, and he shows her dignity and honor and love out of pure grace. She's rightly overwhelmed, and we would argue that the narrator got Boaz right in verse one. This is a, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. This is a worthy man in the eyes of God, providing for and protecting for an image bearer that was hated by the culture and, and probably should have been marginalized by him too, but he does the exact opposite. He pours out grace and love and care, and she wants to know. She had the temerity to ask me. She wants to know why. Why? What do you want out of this, Boaz? Look at verse 11. Boaz has an answer, by the way. Verse 11, Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Now, they're not in San Jose, they're in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was so small back then, it didn't even make the maps. It's a small town. They, they knew community. And if you've ever been in a small town, people know everybody, everybody's business in the small town. For better or for worse, they had all heard. And the report that Boaz got back, it was all good. He had heard that this woman, after her husband died, instead of going back to her mother and father under the protection and care of the house, she stayed with Naomi. Sacrificial. He had also heard she not only stayed 
with Naomi in Moab, she said, I'm going to go with you all the way into Judah. Look at the latter part of verse 11. He says, I heard how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. And again, this is a radical, sacrificial, as we looked at two weeks ago, unreasonable act of love that Ruth would do this for Naomi. Unlike Orpah, who went back reasonably to where she belonged, Ruth committed herself to the well-being of Naomi, to that covenant, until death do they part. Boaz says, verse 12, look with me. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This extreme sacrifice that we saw her make two weeks ago, it hasn't gone unnoticed by Boaz or the entire community. It's not going to go unnoticed, and it's not going to go unrewarded by God. And Boaz is foreshadowing this as, as our next two chapters play out. He petitions God for a, a full repayment of the sacrifice she made to bless Yahweh's daughter, Naomi. It's very much a petition in line with Proverbs 19:17. Listen, the sage said this, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. I'll read that again. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, God, will repay him for his deed. And so Boaz is petitioning God to bless Ruth for the incredible sacrifice of love she made to follow Naomi all the way back into Judah. And then he asks God to bless her for even a more compelling reason. Look at the latter part of verse 12. He says, because it's the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you, Ruth, have come to take refuge. Now remember, she, she's a Moabite. She, she probably worshipped Chemosh, the God of Moab. And he said, yet you, you've come to seek refuge under the God of Israel, under Yahweh. And he uses this wonderful image of, of God having wings that cover Ruth for her protection and her provision. It was a, a common Near Eastern metaphor used to describe birds, mother birds, who would take their hatchlings and, and bring them underneath their wing for protection. When, when, when a little baby bird's born, I'm sure you've all seen it somewhere around your backyard, National Geographic, somewhere. They, they, they're born oftentimes, some of them are naked. They're, just, they're not very cute little creatures. Um, sometimes they just have the down covering However they come out, though, they are, some of them are born blind. Um, they're completely defenseless, right? If, they, if they're left without their mother or their father's care, um, the elements, predators will get to them. They're not protected, and they, and they can't feed themselves. And, and so mother birds will, would keep the, these little chicks underneath to keep them safe and warm and to conceal them. Even as they got older, that, that was seen um, throughout the animal kingdom. And so for, for Boaz to apply it to Yahweh, he's telling Ruth something about this God they worship. Whatever she had heard about Kamash, I guarantee she did not hear this gracious, loving, kind God who would actually bring her under his wings. He's telling her that God, the God of Israel, 
is willing and able to bring a widowed Moabite female, bottom of the barrel, into his refuge and into his strength that she might have the covering of someone who worships Yahweh rather than Kamash. He's saying, listen, my God can cover you too. He can bless you too. And Boaz is asking God to do that because her sacrifice was so great. Look at verse 13. Now Ruth is really overwhelmed. Then she, Ruth, said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth realizes the incredible grace that has been bestowed upon her. She, she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me. One translator put it like this, and I think it's a little bit better. He said, Ruth saying, for you have eased my mind and given encouragement to your maidservant. In other words, God blessing Ruth with protection, provision, and honor through Boaz is already having its intended effect. What is that? Comfort, consolation, encouragement. I mean, this poor woman made the ultimate sacrifice to follow Naomi into Judah. She is literally the lowest of the low in her cultural moment, and yet Boaz has blessed her, bringing her in, comforting her, and saying, you now can find shelter and refuge under Yahweh's wing. And God is doing all this to bless Ruth, who would in turn bless Naomi. Again, the story is about Naomi. Each scene that we, we've looked at this morning reveals how God, through Ruth and Boaz, is going to bless Naomi. He brings Boaz and Ruth together to bless Naomi. He has Boaz pour out grace upon grace upon Ruth to bless Naomi. He has Ruth's sacrifice rewarded to bless Naomi. Ruth is going to take refuge under Yahweh's wings in order to bless Naomi. Are Ruth and Boaz blessed in the process? Well, of course they are. Tremendous blessings. We'll see that as we play out the story. But behind the scenes, my beloved, listen. This is why we had to keep the main theme of the story the main theme of the story. Behind the scenes, God is working to bless Naomi. That's his entire purpose of this book. Such amazing love for someone up to this point in the story that's not even very likable. She's really not very likable, and she's certainly not deserving. And yet, love upon love upon love being poured out upon her. Now, I don't think you can get to this part of the story. Maybe you can. I can't. And not think to yourself, you know what? I want someone working behind the scenes for me like that. I want someone fighting for me, being interested to restore me, unbeknownst to me, restoring me even though I don't know what's going on. I wish there were someone that I could turn to like that when I find myself bitter and empty and no longer wanting to go on with this life. Naomi hit rock bottom. A decade of living in rebellion, no husband, no sons, at home, poverty-stricken, bitter, call me what? Call me Mara. 
Don't call me Naomi. And yet, in the midst of it all, God is moving very powerfully to restore her, to bring her back into the kingdom, to reestablish her dignity and her honor as a, son, as a daughter of Yahweh in Yahweh's kingdom. What if I told you that you do have someone doing that for you? I mean, great efforts being made. Someone who's committed his entire life, his entire ministry for your restoration, your sanctification, and ultimately your salvation. Not a Moabite widow and not a Bethlehemite farmer, but a carpenter from Nazareth has committed himself to you. And what if I told you this carpenter, he's got people too. He's got people working for your restoration and your final destination. Would you believe that? You say, well, of course we do. We know who it is. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God came down from heaven with you and your poverty-stricken, empty, bitter state in his mind and on his heart. He knows that as a result of our sin, Christ knows better than anybody else that as a result of our sin, we're all Naomi's. We all start off like that. We're born sinners. We're sown in iniquity in our mother's womb. And we practice sin well, do we not? I mean, we are excellent at sinning. We excel at sinning. Yes, even in the church. We may try, we may try to be like Naomi. We saw her last week and two weeks ago. We may try to find our identity, our self, our sense of worth in other things, mother, daughter, work, play, finances. We may, we may try, but we all know that there's no joy, there's no eternal joy, there's no total satisfaction apart from Christ. And all those things fail, and they fail because none of them last. What will you take with you into eternity? Not your job, not your finances. We all start off like Naomi, bitter, empty, and in desperate, listen, desperate need of help. You are in desperate need of help this morning. Even if you're in Christ, you're in desperate need of help. Someone to intercede on your behalf. Someone to work behind the scenes on your behalf. In other words, the mantra of the Western culture that you don't need anyone, that you can be the self-made man, the self-made woman, that you can go it alone, you know the tune, climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow, tell you what, find your dream. Oh, I love the movie, but the song's horrible. The song is about you going it alone, satisfying and filling yourself. Not true. It's not true. We all need someone working behind the scenes for our restoration. The good news, as you know, is that Jesus Christ came to do that exact work in your life. To intercede on your behalf. To be your, what? Your eternal helper. You see, the narrator wants us, the narrator wants us to be rightly shocked by the extreme grace of provision, protection, and even honor that Boaz provided for Ruth. She was at the very bottom socially. She was at the bottom spiritually. She was an idolater. She worshipped Kamash. 
According to the law, all Boaz had to do was say, take the scraps and be on your way. But this worthy man went above and beyond and he blessed her with what she needed. He protected her, he provided for her, and he even honored her. My beloved, according to the law, all Jesus Christ is required to do is judge you. Do you know that? According to the law, all Christ has to do is allow you, sinful man, sinful woman, at the bottom of the social and spiritual stratum to be subject to the great judgment to come and be condemned to hell. That's what Christ is required to do by the law. But Jesus Christ is the greater Boaz. He is the worthiest of all men ever born. And he went above and beyond in order to provide and protect and honor you. He left the covering of his father's wings. He left heaven to enter into this mess that we've made, the sin and death of this fallen world. And he came here to receive the just punishment, you know this, of the sins that we deserve for our rebellion against God. He came so that through his sacrifice, he could offer sinners like us so deserving of the judgment of the law, protection, provision, and honor under his wings so that all who are empty and know they're empty can come to him and instead of perishing, find real protection. Protection right now. Those other fields are bad. There's some bad fields out there, right? But he says, don't go to those fields. Don't enter those arenas. Stay with me. Follow me, and I will protect you. And then the ultimate protection we need, obviously, is on the day of judgment when we stand before the holiest of holies and we need someone to say, forgiven, clean, pardoned, come in. He promises to protect us. He promises to provide for us. And he provides for us because he lost the ultimate provision. On the cross, it was Jesus who cried out, "What, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We who have made ourselves bitter are able to have the provision of God the Father which according to John is eternal life because Jesus gave up his divine provision. He gave us his perfect record so we could come into God's presence and not be judged. He provides us with his absolute holiness so that we can gather in the throne room with the angels and the saints and worship God for how long? Forever and ever. Jesus gave up his protection, he gave up his provision, and he gave up his honor. Do you know that? Jesus Christ allowed himself, he allowed it, to be arrested, to be falsely accused by sinful men, to be beaten so brutally he was unrecognizable, and then to be nailed to a Roman cross, which was the most humiliating, most dishonoring way to die in that time in human history. And then upon ascending the cross, we know that he was dishonored eternally by being separated from the Father. And he bore that eternal dishonor in order to honor you forever and ever. So that those who put their faith and their trust in Christ could be brought into his kingdom and what? Made citizens. Honored as citizens of the Father. Honored as members of family, of God's family. To be sons and daughters in his Father's house. 
in our story, Ruth gave up everything, family, home, people, even her own God, to bless Naomi, to bring Naomi out of her bitter state. And God, through Boaz, rewarded Ruth for her sacrificial act of love. In our redemptive story, Jesus Christ gave up everything, his father, his throne, his identity, his eternity, to bless you, to bring you back from your state of bitterness and emptiness and eternal death. And God, through the cross, blessed Jesus for his sacrifice of love. He blessed him not only by raising him from the dead, as you know, and seating him, seating him on the right, at his right hand, putting all heaven and earth under his feet, his control, but he blessed Jesus by giving Jesus his church, his bride, you and me. You realize that the reward that Jesus received for his sacrifice is you. And you think, what a horrible reward. No, because you are being sanctified and made holy. And when you stand before him, you will be pure as he is pure. And he will rejoice at your presence. This is Jesus' mission. To protect and provide and to honor his children. To bring us under his wing. This is his great love for the sinner. Do you remember in the Passion Week, his last week of life, do you remember? He's standing over Jerusalem. He's looking upon Jerusalem. Do you remember his great statement? That one that expressed this incredible love that Christ had for sinners, the same sinners that were going to crucify him on the cross. Matthew 23, 37. Jesus said tenderly, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. This is Christ speaking. He said, how often... Would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Christ has longed to do that now for 2,000 years to bring sinners like us under his wing. What should our response be to this extreme act of God's love in Christ? What should our response be to all this behind-the-scenes work of God redeeming and sanctifying His people for heaven. There are a few here. First, I think we should stop resisting God. Stop trying to go it alone. Stop buying into that self-made man, self-made woman, self-made child. If you do, you're going to end up like Naomi. You will. Empty, bitter, no hope in this life, and no hope in the next. You see, 2,000 years ago, God stopped working behind the scenes. He broke into human history by sending his son in the flesh to ascend the cross for all the world to see. So that anyone we know who confesses their sins and turns to this crucified Savior and puts their faith and hope and trust in him can enjoy right now and forever protection, provision, and honor. He gives us this freely by grace through faith. So stop the whole Western, extreme, individualized, self-made man, self-made woman. It's a lie. This passage says stop and turn to God. 
Secondly, like Ruth, I think that we should acknowledge that if we are in Christ, we found favor in God's eyes. Some of you need to really listen to this. Verse 13, after Boaz had said and done these amazing things, Ruth said to him, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. She experienced the blessings of grace, protection, provision, and honor, freely given. She hadn't done anything. And she had concluded she was favored by Boaz. If you're in Christ, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've truly confessed, you've truly turned, and you've committed your life to Christ, then you cannot keep going day after day saying, does God love me? Does God favor me? Am I truly forgiven? Do I have his protection? Do I have his provision? Will I be forgiven on judgment day? You must stop that. If you're in Christ, you are favored beyond measure. If you know Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and it truly is no longer you who lives but Christ who lives in you, then God's favor is upon you. Listen, no matter, no matter how bad your circumstances are, his love for Naomi did not change. It only increased as she suffered. God's favor is upon you no matter how weak your faith might become. If you're in Christ, you are favored as Christ is favored. Do you remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration? Do you remember what God said? He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Friends, God's pleasure in his son is God's pleasure for you if you are united to Christ. Same pleasure. The same statement that God made of the son on the Mount of Transfiguration belongs to you if you are in Christ. If you listen to him, if you follow him, the irrevocable favor of God is upon you. Paul said this, he made it really clear, Ephesians 1, verse 3, past tense now, listen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Protection, provision, honor, it's all yours in Jesus and it cannot be taken away by your circumstances, by your emotions, or by your lack of faith. That's good news, is that not? Thirdly, enjoying the grace of God in Christ, coming under His wings daily, provides comfort in the midst of crisis. Here's Ruth. She sets out that morning as a a foreigner and a woman in a foreign land and she goes to, to find food. You think she was a bit anxious? We know in Boaz's protection, say don't go to the other fields. I've told my men not to touch you. She was worried. She was worried she was going to be abused, possibly raped, possibly murdered or kidnapped. And yet she says in verse 13 that his words Boaz's words had comforted her, comforted her. Another way could be translated, consoled her. Whatever fears and anxieties she went out with that morning, Boaz squelched them as a man of standing in Bethlehem. His protection, his prevention, a provision meant the world to Ruth. Friends, Christ, now as a man of standing over the universe, has spoken so kindly to you and he's called you to himself. He's urging you to stop trying to do everything on your own 
to cease your radical individualism, to cease, cease trying to pave your own path, especially in the midst of crisis. Friends, we are so bad at this. In crisis, then we really go it alone. It's the exact opposite of what God is saying here. Christ is saying, come to me and what? And I'll comfort you. I'll console, console you. Come under my wings, Jesus says. We know that. He said to what? Come to me all who are what? Weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest under Jesus' wings is what's offered to you, not thrashing about in your moment of crisis. I got one more, and I'm going to give it to you whether you like it or not. Lastly, you must know that God is working right now behind the scenes in other people's lives to bless you. Right now. God is actively moving. He's actively working to bring about your restoration, your healing, and your eternal salvation through other people. So if you're a member here at Christ Community Church, your Ruths and Boazes are in your midst. Do you know that? You have Ruths and Boazes right here in this church. People that God is working in to sanctify you. Now you may be you may be like Naomi at this point in the story. You may be sitting at home, wallowing and denying the very blessing that God wants to pour out on you through others. Maybe you have embraced the Western lie and you think you have to go it alone. Maybe you think it's a weakness to ask for help. Maybe you think that somehow it's a failure if you don't make it through on your own. Lie, lie, lie. I mean, wasn't it Paul who said, Galatians 6, 2, that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? The law of Christ to be what? To love one another as Christ loves us? Kind of hard to bear a burden or have your burdens borne if you are going it alone. In fact, I would say it's impossible. God is working to bring about your restoration through your brothers and sisters right now. Are you around them enough to receive the blessings? Ruth had to go out to the fields of Boaz to be blessed by Boaz. He had to go. She had to go. Are you here? I mean, generally speaking, are you here? Are you around, brothers and sisters, to receive the blessing that God is intending for you through them? Are you? These are simple questions. Are you here when we pray that you might be blessed by the prayers of the saints? Are you here when we eat that you might be blessed by the fellowship of the saints? Do you gather, my beloved, in our community groups or a discipleship group, do you get together so that your brothers and sisters who are being used by God to bless you can bless you? That's a yes or no. There are Ruth's and Boaz's in our church that God is equipping to bless you, but you can't be blessed by them if you're never around them. I know you know this. I know how easy it is to turn inward and disperse. Are you engaged relationally with your Boaz's and your Ruth's? Do you know them? Are you intimate with them? Are you sharing life together with them? So you can experience all the behind the scenes work God is doing in them to bless you and all the work he's doing in you to bless them. 
If not, my friends, then I would encourage you right now as we close to seek forgiveness from God for denying yourself the very blessings he wants to bestow upon you. What a horrible thing for God to prepare blessings for you from others and you say, nope, I'm not going to have it. Seek forgiveness. Commit yourself beginning this week to live out your Christian life in the communion of the saints. Being around, being involved, being loved and, and loving others in return. I do believe, without question, one of the primary reasons that many Western Christians are a lot like Naomi. We're bitter, we're empty, we're lost, we're not unsaved, we're just, we're just not filled with joy. I believe one of the primary reasons, my beloved, is that we refuse to confess our desperate need for help and we refuse to embrace it by having others bless us in return. We just don't do it. Who's working to restore you? Answer, God is through his church. Who's working to restore you? God is, and he's doing it through his church. Let's pray right now that God would give us the wisdom to turn away from the foolishness of our our pride-filled, self-made man, self-made woman worldview and to turn to Christ and his body, the church, for the protection, provision, and the honor we each so desperately need. And let's do that not only, not only for our well-being and the glory of God, but that people might see us, Christ Community Church, and see the great work that God is doing in us and praise our Heavenly Father. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I know that for many churches this teaching may sound odd. I know we know better. I know Christ Community Church knows better. We know there's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. We know that in the midst of crisis, it is foolish to hide. We know, Father, that you are in fact working in the lives of others to bless us. And so I pray that you would be Be strangely gracious with us as Boaz was with Ruth. Bless us with an understanding, Father, that you do want to grow us. You do want to restore us. You want to sanctify us. And you want to make us ready for heaven. And you do that through one another. Father, this is a wisdom that is required to overcome our cultural moment. To really bind us together in Christ that we might see and praise you for restoring us through your church. I thank you so much for the testimony of Booth, of, of Boaz to Ruth. I praise you for that, Lord. I ask that would be replicated 10 times, 100 times in this church, that we see, might see that grace poured out and people truly comforted and consoled in the love you have for us. Do that for us, Lord. Bless us like that. And do that for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Christ Community Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit lovinglord.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Thank you again for listening.